to come to Daniel. We've got two more after this in our series. So next week we're going to talk about Jonah. And then the uh, last one will be Esther. And uh, on that week, so the last week, so not next week, but the week after, um, just after the service, we're going to open here uh, Queen Esther's Cafe and uh, have a little bit of uh, Purim celebration. That might make a little bit more sense on that, that week. Um, but that'll be in a couple of, of weeks. So today, let's get into Daniel. Daniel chapter 6 is where we're going to be at. Daniel, the book of Daniel, is one of those books that, um, that people love and hate. Uh, you, because the, the first part of it is those great stories. You know, we read the first bit at the beginning where Daniel and his friends um, stand in, in courage against uh, uh, eating things offered to idols. And then there's you know, the, the great vision of the, the, ta- of the, the statue. And we've got uh, the three men in the, the fiery furnace. And, and we've got things like Daniel in the den of lions. We, we like all that. Those are great and, and exciting stories. And then you get to chapter 7 onwards. And for a lot of people, it just becomes confusing. Um, so much prophecy and so much things. So we like the first half. We're not so keen on the second half for most people. Uh, now, as we come here to chapter six, this is kind of it seems like kind of the divide of where Daniel Daniel's life and and his writings. Chapter seven, we know we go into more of the the prophecy and the writings and things like that. So we're we're at the last part of Daniel's public life. From here on out, he becomes more private. Maybe he retires uh, from there, but he he spends more time writing and studying God's word in the final years of of his life. Um, So here we're at that point where this is really the last public part of his his ministry that we are aware of. And uh, we're, as we come to Daniel in the Den of Lions, this is one of those ones where we are really inspired by his courage. Um, let's let's read together before we go on. Let's read together. We're gonna we'll look through the whole chapter, but for the moment, let's start in verse sixteen, Daniel six and verse sixteen, and we'll read through and then uh, see a little bit more. So Daniel chapter six and verse sixteen. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel. Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night uh, fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. When he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then Daniel said unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me. For as, much as before he, uh, for as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then the king, exceedingly glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, 
because he believed in his God. The king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, and their wives, and the lions had the mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to again learn from the great people of the Bible. Help us to learn the lessons, to learn to apply them in our own lives, that we might be a people of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are all inspired very often by the courage that Daniel shows here, the courage to stand up against the king, even at the threat of his own life, and be cast into the den of lions. But even still, as he's cast into there and we're inspired by his courage, rarely do we consider how it happens that Daniel can get to the point in his life where he has this courage. How did Daniel, at this point in his life, have that courage, have that strength to be able to stand against this law? It's not just a matter of how did he get in the lion's den, what events caused that, but much bigger. How was he so courageous to defy the king's order? So this morning, let's think about the reason for Daniel's courage and the results of his courage. As we begin, let's begin by looking at the courage of Daniel. The courage of Daniel, our text begins in verse 1. It said, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give account unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. First thing I want to look at in terms of where Daniel is and the courage that Daniel has is his supremacy. His supremacy, how he is above the others that are around him. And I see in these first few uh, verses here at least three ways in which Daniel is superior to all of those around him. And the first is that he is superior in his leadership. He's superior in his leadership. Daniel, when he first came to Babylon, when we read in chapter 1, was about 17 years old. Uh, thereabouts when he first came there. And from that point, from that moment he came into to Babylon and began, he rises to a place of influence and power in Babylon over and over again. Under every king, now he served under a number, so by this stage he served under three kings, under uh, Nebuchadnezzar, under Belshazzar, and now Darius. And under every single one of those he has proven himself to be faithful and honorable and risen in power and influence. So it makes sense that in chapter 6, when we see Darius come to rule over the kingdom here, it makes sense that he utilizes Daniel's experience and his expertise. He's been in leadership position for a very long time and been very good at it. So Darius comes to the throne and he organizes the kingdom that he has received here. And he, uh, it's a vast kingdom at this point, and he, he makes some governors and some uh, rulers over the place, and he sets over all of those governors. He sets three chief princes, or three governors, or satraps over all of them, of whom Daniel is the chief chief. So he's the top guy over all of these governors that uh, 
that Darius has said. So even Darius, as he's come here, has seen in Daniel someone who is good at his job. He is not only, though, superior in his leadership to those around him, he is also superior in his wisdom. Superior in his wisdom. Daniel is more than just good at his job. He is good at his job, but it's more than that. Through the years, he has shown exceptional wisdom. Every king who comes to the throne hears about Daniel's wisdom and Daniel's understanding and seeks him out. Every king has. Wisdom comes from a young age. We see it in Daniel chapter 1, which we read before, when he's only about 17 years old. He is already seeking and pursuing a wise life. In Daniel chapter 1 and verse 20, where we we read just a, a moment ago, it says, And in all manner of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. So even at 17, Daniel was already exceeding, with his three friends, of course, already exceeding the wisdom and the capabilities of those much older and much more experienced than him. Like Solomon, Daniel sought to honor God and was pursuing God and seeking wisdom. Along with his three friends, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, God gives them abundant wisdom. The difference between Solomon, though, who was wise beyond all measure, and Daniel, who both sought wisdom, the difference between Solomon and Daniel is that Daniel did not squander his God-given wisdom. Solomon squandered it and chased so many other things and, and, and had so many mistakes in his life, even though he had God-given wisdom, But Daniel didn't squander it like Solomon did. Verse 3 says, Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king sought to set him over the whole realm. So Darius quickly recognizes the wisdom in Daniel. So Daniel is superior in his leadership. He's superior in his wisdom. And I see also in these verses that he is superior in his integrity. As we continue reading through the text here from verse 4, it says, Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men, we, uh, then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god, then that should be a small god, of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the letter that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks 
before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that asks a petition of any God or man within 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of Medes and Persians, which altereth not. He's superior in his, his uh, integrity, which is a sad reality, not just in our time, but generally throughout history, is there is a great lack of integrity in so many of our leaders, but not Daniel. We see it far too often in our leadership, even in our Christian leadership, people without integrity. They may be great leaders, and they may be wise men like Solomon, but then get seduced by so many other things. Not Daniel. Daniel was wise and he was powerful, but he was not seduced by those things around him. As we read in verse 4, we find that Daniel was above reproach. He was personally and professionally wise. Now, he wasn't perfect. He certainly wasn't perfect, but he was faithful in his pursuit of godliness. He lived like Paul encouraged us to live in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse uh, 12. Uh, we'll find that for you here, 2 Corinthians, what did I say? Chapter 1. Paul writes this, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity or single-mindedness, single focus, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you. We're called to live in singleness of heart and purity. It was the pursuit of godliness which brought great blessing to Daniel. This is why he was so superior above the others, because he faithfully pursued his God. Let's take a moment here to consider his accusers to see uh, where they are, what this has to do with it. The whole situation comes about uh, because of their jealousy. The situation that puts Daniel in the lion's den is because of their, their jealousy. What we, what we do know about following God and about living for God is that following God brings blessing. There is no doubt about that. God promises that when we follow God, it will bring blessing. God will bless us for pursuing him and being faithful. But God also tells us this. Following God doesn't only bring blessing, it also brings trouble. And that is as true as the other. Many will see your godliness and they will see your pursuit of faithfulness to God and they will be drawn to God. They will see your life. They will see your testimony. And that will be uh, the testimony they need to draw them to understand more of God, to learn more of God. But then others will look at your life in pursuit of faithfulness and godliness. And they will not see it as something to draw them near God, but rather they will see it as being judgmental, hypocritical, or even hateful. The other governors here become jealous of Daniel's success and jealous of the influence that he has in the kingdom. 
It seems that even part of the situation here is because he is a Jew and he's not like them. So there is some jealousy, there is some racism mixed up in here in their decision to, to bring about this, this plan. We're called to live for God in this world. Now God will bless that, but it will also put us at odds with many. To live for God, to be faithful for God, is going to bring blessing to your life, but it is also going to bring trouble. So out of their jealousy, they create a plan. And we see their plan, which ends up with Daniel in a den of lions. Now the testimony of Daniel's life is, is amazing. You consider this. So there is this massive group of men who are leaders in the, the kingdom. This massive group of leaders in the kingdom has their eyes set on one man. And in this great group of people, not one of them can come up with an accusation that they are certain will stick. You know, there's the old saying, you know, in politics and things like that, if you throw enough mud, something sticks. They can't find enough mud to get anything to stick to Daniel. Look, they, they can't figure it out. This is the type of testimony that he has before them. They could not even make something up that would stick because people just wouldn't believe it. The only way they could get to Daniel was to get to Daniel by attacking his God. That's the only way they could see to get to him. Attack his God and they will have Daniel. Now, don't misunderstand all their motives here. At all. It wasn't really his faith that irritated them. They didn't care who he worshipped. They are polytheistic. They worshipped a thousand different gods. So it wasn't a matter of the fact that, that David worshipped a di or that Daniel worshipped a different god to them. They all worshipped different gods. So they were polytheistic. The problem was the result of Daniel's faith that bothered them. They all worshipped all their other gods, did all their other things, and, and did that, but they didn't have the success that Daniel had by faithfully passionately pursuing the true God. Daniel's God was clearly at work in Daniel's life. And they knew Daniel's faithfulness to God. They knew how deeply he pursued his God. And so in their deceit, they make this plot. Darius, the king, shows no real wisdom here. All the governors gather together, we're told there in, in verse 6 and, and onward, all the governors gather together except Daniel. Now that should be, to Darius, that should be the first red flag, because who is Daniel? Daniel is the chief of the chiefs. So everyone except the head guy is there. And they flatter Darius, and they come up with this great plan, and Darius is not thinking wisely. He gets uh, smitten by the flattery and all of this, and he makes an unwise decision. And he follows their, their plan, not considering the implications of what he was about to sign. So what is then Daniel's response? 
here is Daniel's response, and we see that from verse 10 onwards. Verse 10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. So what is Daniel's response to this new law, which says only pray to Darius? Well, he prayed. He prayed. Daniel knows the law. Tells us there in verse 6, he knows what's signed. He wasn't ignorant of it. This wasn't a mistake out of not knowing what went on. He knew what the law was. And in knowing what the law was, he goes to his room, windows open, and prays. He's not hiding. The windows are wide open. Every day, he does the same thing. He goes into his room, the windows are open, and he prays and says that he gives thanks and he praises his God. And he asks God to help. He's probably, I think, in there praying for those Jews that had returned to Jerusalem. Praying for their well-being, that, that things would go well for them. He is probably also praying for the Jews that have remained. That they would support, that they would grow and continue to find their place with God. He's probably praying for wisdom, for safety and protection during these next 30 days when he is not supposed to be praying to anyone. But he is persistent in his thanks and he is persistent in his prayers. So his response is he prayed like he always did. He prayed like he always did. Daniel did not start praying now because of this law. That's not why he started praying. Oh, it's a good reason to pray. It's a bad law. But that isn't what motivated Daniel to pray. He's not trying to make a stand either. He didn't leave from there, go up to his room, open his windows as a public statement of defiance. That wasn't what he was doing either. Daniel was praying here because that's what he always did. Every day. Three times a day. Every single day. At this point, Daniel is now over 80 years old. And since he was young, it tells us in verse 6 there, since he was young, he's been doing the same thing. Three times a day, praying. Every day. This wasn't a response to a crisis. Though he may have been praying about the crisis, his time of prayer was not a response to the crisis. This was his habit. It was his habit. Young people, as many of you here this morning, young people begin create, creating godly habits now. Start now creating those godly habits. It is never too early. Daniel is 80 years old or more here, and he's doing what he's doing because he started it when he was young. It was just his habit to serve God. And just like it's never too early to start creating habits like this, neither is it too late to start either. 
Maybe you're saying, I've been, I've been inconsistent in my life. I'm middle-aged, or I'm older-aged, or I'm on my way out. doesn't matter. It's never too late to start creating godly habits. That's the key to what we're about to see. The key to all of this is this very thing. That Daniel was in his room praying, not because of a crisis, but because of habit. Because it was part of his character. So from the courage of Daniel, we see the consistency of Daniel. The courage of Daniel comes from the consistency of Daniel. As we skip toward the end here a little bit, we'll go, go back in a minute. But as they pull him out of the, the den of lions, it says in verse 22, My God has sent his angel and hath shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me, for as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. He trusted God. From beginning to end, he trusted God. And one thing we know about Daniel is he trusted God alone. Not in the many gods and not in other things, he trusted God alone. Now, when he's found out to be praying and they come and they come to Darius and say, Darius, we found Daniel praying and he's not supposed to be praying. Darius spends that whole day maneuvering, trying to, to make some allegiances and, and, and make some things to try and get Daniel out of the predicament he is in. Spends the whole day and by nightfall it tells us nothing could be done. Everyone is set, say, nope, the trap has been set. We've got our man. Darius, you've got to put him in there. So despite his best efforts, Daniel is put into the den of lions. Once he goes into the den, we don't hear much from Daniel until afterwards when he comes out. It's there that he proclaims his faith in God. It would have been easy for Daniel to change his lifestyle to suit this decree, wouldn't it? Like, maybe we're already thinking that. Maybe we're already thinking, well, look, Daniel could have escaped this. I can imagine if this was now, if this was in, in this day and, and something like this had happened to somebody like Daniel, Christian Twitter would be all, all right. Well, why didn't he just close his windows? Or what, you know, he could have changed his schedule. He didn't have to pray then. Why didn't he pray when they weren't watching? Oh, Daniel, there's a thousand ways he could have avoided this. It's all Daniel's fault. There are a thousand ways that we could justify Daniel doing something else. He didn't have to do what he did every day at the same time in the same way. There was no reason why he had to have his windows open. God would have heard his prayer and the prayer would have been just as fervent if the windows were closed. He didn't have to pray at the exact same time. He could have done it half an hour before or an hour later and God still would have heard his prayers and they still would have been fervent. Why did he continue to do what he did? It's easy to rationalize and to justify change. 
to avoid the consequences here. But to Daniel, that wasn't an option. And the reason it wasn't an option is because to Daniel, to change his schedule or to change his way of prayer or his way of worship would have then shown those all around that he was in agreement with Darius. The people who every day, every day for his life, saw Daniel at the same three times, every day, open his windows and pray. What do you think they're going to see if one day they don't see those windows open? Oh, well, Daniel must be okay with it. So it's okay with me. Maybe this thing to Darius is all right. See, by changing it, by doing something other than what he was doing, it was, in a way, affirming that this law was okay. That you could, in fact, be seen to be worshipping or praying another god. It couldn't be seen or assumed to be worshipping anyone else. Daniel needed to be seen in this time, as much as any other time, that God is the only one worth worshipping. See, the reason that got him in this is that there was nothing, nothing else in his life that they could accuse him of except his worship of God. So if he changes his schedule, if he changes everything, the very thing they try to attack him at is what they win with. He can't have anybody thinking that God is not worth it. That something else is okay. He believed God would do right. No matter what, he believed God would do right. See, Daniel wasn't concerned about the results. He lived his life in godly sincerity. God would do right no matter what. And above all, he gives glory to God. This is the way Daniel had lived his entire life. He lived for God. He lived for God. Verse 16 of our text says then, and, and here, what I want you to hear is I want you to hear the words of Darius in these two verses I'm about to read, verse 16 and verse 20. Verse 16, then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Verse 20, and when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel, and the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions. What we know of Daniel is that he chose God. I said before, the key, key to this moment was what Daniel had started years before. Not what happens in this moment, but what had happened years before. Daniel 1 and verse 8 as they're sitting there and they're deciding on whether they're going to eat the king's meat or whether they're going to, to uh, appease their conscience to God. And it says, and Daniel purposed in his heart. So from a young age, he has decided, he has made known, he has made the choice that he would live his life for God. And at 80 years old, we're seeing the results of that. 
we're seeing the result of a young man who said, I will serve God, and then kept that as his pursuit for his entire life. Daniel's courage here was the result of consistent choice for God. Daniel's courage is not the courage that he stood up in that moment and had the strength to say, in that moment, I will fight. Daniel's courage came from a lifetime of consistency. He was able to stand up to the king that day because he had been living for the king his entire life. The true king. He lived for God. Having made the choice, he lived it out. He knew why he was created. He lived by it. Barnabas said the same thing to the people in Antioch. He encourages the Christians in Antioch with these words, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. The courage of Daniel to face the lions came from his consistent life of pursuing Christ. Pursuing God. You know, Jesus tells us in the New Testament, you know, it was on the last night before he died, he tells us not to worry about what to do when we're faced with persecution because the Spirit will help us. But that doesn't mean do nothing. It doesn't mean that we just do whatever and then when the time comes and persecution comes that, that the Spirit's just going to give us what we need just at that moment no matter what happened before. If we're living for Christ in our life now, the courage will be there. The Spirit will have a lifetime of faithfulness to strengthen, to encourage. So he testifies of God. The result of this life was a testimony for God. Did you hear Darius's words in verse 16 and verse 20? And both times... He says to Daniel, the God that you continually serve. This is why the plan worked for the accusers. It worked for the accusers because everyone knew this was the God he continually served. Everyone knew exactly what Daniel would do. Nobody even thought that if they put this rule, Daniel would go to his room and close the windows and pray. Never crossed their mind. They all knew exactly what he'd do. They'd put the roll in, and Daniel would do what he had been doing for 60 years. He'd go to his room, open the windows, and pray. At every chance, he made it clear who he lived for. When he stands before King Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar wanted uh, an interpretation to his dream, Daniel says, I can't give it to you, but God can give it to you. In chapter 5, we see the very same things. Again, as he, he stands before Belshazzar and interprets what's going on, he says, I can't give you the answer to what's here, but God can. He's taken every opportunity to point to God, to live for God, and to make him known. Never assume that people know why you're living the way you are. You know, there's, it's a spurious saying, and it's, uh, I think, often attributed to Francis of Assisi, who never, never said it. Uh, 
said, you know, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. That is, let your life show Jesus Christ. Yeah, sure, let your life show Jesus Christ. But you have to use words. You can't assume that people know why you live the way you live just because it looks a little different. Speak of Christ. Speak of his name. Let people know why you live the way you do. Now, finally, the consistency of Daniel leads us to the confession of Darius. God, even according to Darius here, is alive. He is the living God. Let's read just the last portion of chapter 6, verse 25. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and steadfast forever in his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Darius is still a pagan king. Verse 24 seems to make that pretty clear. You know, he pulls Daniel out and then throws everybody else in. So he's still a pagan king. Clearly, though, he has recognized things about God as a result of Daniel. He has seen some truths about God. He understands that God is no idol, no idea or concept. He recognizes that the God of Daniel is a living God, not like the other gods that have surrounded him. That God lives, and he is the God of the living. Because he lives, he works. Make the living God known. So like Daniel, the question comes to us, does your life speak about a living God? Does my life show that God actually lives? Or does my life make it look like God is as dead as every other God people worship? God should be worshipped. It seemed natural to Darius, a polytheist, but it seemed natural to Darius that if God lives, then he should be worshipped. That was the natural outcome in a, in, a, in a pagan person like Darius's mind, that if this God, who he's clearly seen, can deliver Daniel out of the lion's den, and this God is living, then he should be worshipped. This is our great purpose in life, to worship God and to call others to worship God. One pastor says, says it like this. Our, our mission is essentially this. Missions, or worship, missions is to worship God so that others will worship God. So when we send missionaries out, or we go out and we share the gospel, we go out so that others will worship God. Darius begins to recognize also that God rules eternity. 
he sees that this God who can rescue Daniel out of the den of lions has a rightful claim over his own kingdom. Over every kingdom. Darius is a powerful king, but he recognizes that the God who can close lions' mouths is the true king. He couldn't do that. He fretted all night, worried all night. But the true God closed the mouth of the lions. Not just the kingdom of men. God controlled the lions' mouths. God is ruler over all things. He is not only ruler over the kingdoms now, he is ruler in his eternal kingdom. Unlike Babylon, unlike Persia, God's kingdom will not fall. That's part of Daniel's prophecies, isn't it, to to Nebuchadnezzar? The vision that he had, God's kingdom is ultimate. And just like we've seen with so many of our other lessons as we've gone along, the story here and the hero here is not Daniel. The story and the, the hero of the story is God because God again delivers his people. God promises to deliver his people. He delivers his people out of trouble and he delivers his people out of trouble often in ways beyond our ability. He does it in ways that we don't expect. Sometimes in ways that we never see or recognize. Sometimes it's absolutely miraculous the way he does it. Here, he sends an angel. Many believe it's the angel of the Lord, that it's Jesus Christ here. Like the song says, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. Though many of the sign gifts no longer operate, that does not mean that God doesn't do miracles. That God can't deliver his people. He does. It's unlikely that Darius truly believed God as the only God. It seems probable, in all probability, that he died still a pagan. However, through Daniel, he knew the truth. He knew who the true God was. And this is the type of life that we are all called to. A life of integrity and godliness. That we live so that people will see who the true God is. We can't make them believe that God. But we can live a life so that they will see that God. A life that finds courage built through consistency. Courage that is built by faithfully seeking God every day. That's where Daniel's courage came from. A consistent pursuit of God. The courage of your life come from your consistent pursuit of God. And that will lead others to worship. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Daniel once more. We thank you that we see in him not something dramatically different to our own lives, but something which is attainable. 
We look at Daniel and we see a man of great courage, but a man who built great courage one step at a time. Who believed you and chose each day to believe you. So help us, dear God, to set in place the habits of pursuing you. That we would have the strength and the courage when the time is right because we have lived a life to prepare us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.